everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 112 with Sam Gilstrap, who is a podcaster himself. Podcasts, theater, John Lovitz, acting, Garza at the Taj. These are some of the things we talk about. We also do a little uh, jaunt into James Lipton territory and sort of deconstruct the survey that he offers his guests at the end of Inside the Actor's Studio episodes. This is a really fun podcast, y'all. I hope you really enjoy. I want to give a huge shout out to Catherine Bell Photography. Uh, Catherine did my new headshots and they are amazing. So I'm going to give a link to her website, catherinebell.com, in the episode description. If you're Boulder or Denver located, you need headshots, event photography, weddings, She's, she even does stuff where folks are mountain climbing and, you know, high action, high risk kind of photos. Anyway, I'm convinced that she can do absolutely anything and you should hire her the next time you need some high quality photos done. That's all from me, folks. Please enjoy episode 112 with Sam Gilstrap. to welcome Sam Gilstrap to the podcast. Welcome, Sam. Hello. Thank Hello. You for me, Katie. A fellow podcaster yourself. Yes, yes. What is the title and origins, origin or John origin story of your podcast? Um, origin story. Uh, first of all, it's um, the Ghost Lights podcast. Um, honestly, it is an opportunity for me to talk to the actors that um, I like working with, um, have worked with, want to work with, to get their stories. Because at the end of the day, um, I've, I, I look up to a lot of the people that I've had on the podcast. I've not developed a, an admiration for them after the fact. Um, so it's just an opportunity to really just sit down and talk shop with, with actors and give it give us an excuse to drink while we do it. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah, usually there's like an unofficial sponsor. We've had... Uh, <laughs> What have been some of your unofficial sponsors? Uh, we've had the unofficial sponsor, Jameson Irish Whiskey. Mm-hmm. Kern Irish Whiskey. You're, you're noticing a trend here, I think. we got whiskey a lot. Whiskey's my favorite. Yeah. Whiskey's, <laughs> whiskey's the bee's knees. Um, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes we've had wines from Oregon. Um, let's see. Me and me and John Ashton, I think we're drinking red. Uh, a really nice red wine the entire time. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, you know, we don't drink because we're on campuses and stuff and we don't want to get in trouble. But it usually, I always find that um, a little a little bit of a booze helps the mouth move. <laughs> a little bit of social lubrication. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we're not reinventing the wheel, but we want to at least have a nice, fun, flowing conversation. Well, yeah, I think that's one of the most fun things about being a theater artist is uh, getting a chance to dig into your war stories, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Um, and then I'm such a fan of the long form interview form because we're so, um, our attention spans are, you know, evolving with smartphones, right? Yeah. And, and when do we get a chance to just sit down with someone for 45 minutes, an hour and get to hear what they're really passionate about. So yeah. right on, where can folks listen to your podcast? Um, they can find me on SoundCloud, or if you want to go to Facebook first, um, the it's the Ghost Lights Podcast. Excuse me. 
you'll find um, awesome pictures I've taken of ghost lights around town. Um, and then you'll have links to all of the podcasts that I've uploaded. So the last one I did was with Tim McCracken about two months ago. And, cool. Or no, not Tim McCracken, Brian Cusick. And, yeah, Mr. From, Darcy. Yes, Mr. Darcy. I just call people, like I do that to uh, poor Luke. I call Luke Cliff whenever I see him at Betsy. He's there at, like, I think every show of The Revolutionist, because Adrian was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, Cliff! And it's like, that's not... Their name, but that's how they've come into my life. Yes. And so, but no, I guess I can call Brian Brian instead of Mr. Darcy. It's yeah. okay. He's a cool dude. He'll respond to both. All but, right. Yeah. Well, I first saw you, speaking of uh, fantastic segues, mm-hmm. in the Catamounts production of You on the Moors Now, where that's you played right. Mama March. What What was your slew of roles Let's that see. you portrayed? Oh, I played Mrs. March. <laughs> <laughs> and I was Joseph. It was the, it was the, grump, the grumpy butler. Joseph. Um, I also played uh, um, Concerned Citizen Number One. I think it was like player number four. I always called him Concerned Citizen because like every time I came out on stage, aside from the top, as player number four, I always was like constipatedly focused. (laughs) That's like uh, Amanda told me to be a concerned citizen. I think it looks like I'm constipated. There we go. This is my interpretation of your directorial notes. Acting! Acting! Yes. That's my favorite thing to do. Because uh, when I do that, I'm referencing the John Lovitz mm. uh, SNL sketch where he's in that yes. like red mm-hmm. smoking jacket. Acting! Yes. And I think people who don't know the reference just think that's me, but it's not. It's, no. it's, a, it's a nod to no, the beautiful you, John Lovitz. Yeah, you stole it from John Lovitz. Yeah. It's okay, because he's not... Using it right now. I don't think so. He is not acting. What is he doing right now? I think John Lovitz is um, like collecting royalties from the critic being in syndication. <gasps> oh, you're right. And uh, every once in a while, like uh, talking about his uh, fake relationship with Morgan Fairchild. Yes. Yeah. So. That's what. That's John Lovitz's day. Mm-hmm. What do you think John Lovitz is doing at this exact moment? Like this exact moment. Right now. Um, let's see. He's probably in New York, so it's a little later. I bet he's. Uh, I bet he's uh, having himself a, a nice glass of a nice glass of brandy. Mm-hmm. And um, a little, he, is it a snifter? A snifter. Yeah. It's a snifter. He is in his red smoking jacket. But that is it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. Nothing else. And uh, he's reading a, uh, uh, the newest copy of Variety. I think. I think you're right on. John Lovitz, if you're listening to this, let us know if we're, you know, in Anywhere the ballpark near, at all. Uh, no, no mean to, uh, no <laughs> intention of, of pissing you off, sir. <laughs> uh, we love you, John Lovitz. You yes, hope we do. you're doing well uh, mm-hmm. in New York. Um, so, in terms of upcoming cool stuff that you're doing, yeah. uh, you're in this little play called Guards at the Taj with Boulder Ensemble Theater Company. Yes. Uh, tell me how that came to be and give me an enticing look into it that will make audiences run to their computers and purchase tickets. Definitely. Um, um, first of all, it's going to be directed by Mr. Stephen Weitz, who has been, uh, who's run, run but Betsy for much longer than I can even give you a number to right now. Cause I'm <laughs> not, I'm not that smart sometimes. Um, it is with, um, our boy Jihad Milheim, who I think you just sat yes. down with recently. Fantastic interview, yeah. Yeah, Jay is an amazing actor who I've really, really grown to respect since we auditioned together for Guards of the Taj. 
Um, I honestly was in the middle of rehearsals or I think performances for Waiting for Godot and Stephen um, sent me an email and asked me to come down and uh, I, I read with Jay um, the, just the first scene. It's from just the first scene alone, you get this relationship that is so rich. Um, Rajiv Joseph is the playwright and uh, he's just a phenomenal artist. Um, I was lucky enough to be in a bag, um, Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo by Rajiv Joseph. Oh, I've, right. I've heard of that. Yeah, I've seen gruesome playground injuries. It's just a, an amazing, an amazing playwright. And, and this this story doesn't um, doesn't fall short of that. We have two men. It's a two-hander. It's just us two the entire time. And we are honestly trying to make sense of the world as it's changing um, and to to be more clear about that, it, this play takes place at the time when we are building the Taj Mahal. These are two guards who are watching, or should say on watch, but not allowed to watch it being created. And um, it just kind of starts with this whole idea um, that the king, who is having the Taj Mahal built, saying it will be the most beautiful thing ever built, and there will be nothing to come after it to be as beautiful or more so. It's a mandate, a decree. And um, Jay's character kind of takes, for lack of a better word, umbrage with that. And my character, Humayun, um, he is following orders the entire time. And they learn about each other, even though they're great friends already. Um, over the course of the next three acts, we get to play with a whole lot of blood. <laughs> um, it's going to be fun. And... I'm just going to say it. You're getting two of the best actors in Colorado working on this show with one of the best directors in town. Get your tickets ASAP. Go to Betsy. Make the drive. It's going to be well worth it. I guarantee you. I, A plus. Yeah. That is, that is, that is a fantastic pitch for it. I'm, I'm super, I'm super excited to see it. It seems to me it has maybe a little bit tones of, I mean, I think about waiting for Guffman a little bit. I think about Guffman, fuck, Godot. 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 Yeah. Uh, and then, Same guy. Same guy. <laughs> and then also, uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead yeah. a little bit. Would you say there's some parallels? Oh, we definitely... I mean, especially when you're dealing with... When you're dealing with two people specifically honing and living in the relationship that is... I don't know, it's just so... It is so necessary for both of those men. Um, Didi and Gogo need each other as much as they cannot be with each other. Right. I think Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are very much an entity together. I think on their own, they're not that interesting. Together, <laughs> though, they're fun to watch and um, be around. If you got to go out to CSF, Michael Bouchard and Sean Scrutchins, bravo. They killed it, yeah. Right, yeah. And, uh, and then you have... These two men, Humayun and Babur, who are, they're brothers in arms, they're brothers in how they define their relationship, and you have them going up against things that they never thought they'd have to consider, especially during a specific time period, like like this time. And asking these questions that Babur asks, um, is challenging and it, it and it pulls the rug out from under Humayun, which 
it's similar to like watching Didi and Gogo wait for Godot. Like we, we've put our lives on hold for this thing that may or may never happen, and we can't do it alone. And I think these two men are trying to figure out how to, how to be there for one another, be themselves, and find themselves all at the same time. And if that's not getting actory, <laughs> nothing is. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, so it plays January. In February. Yeah. Opens at, in, I think, late January, January yeah. 24th, I believe. We'll Dairy, start rehearsals a couple days after Christmas. Yeah. Dairy Art Center, Grace Gam Theater. Mm-hmm. Folks can go either to thedairy.org or betsy.org. We'll have mm-hmm. both links in the episode description to get your tickets. And then, since Heather Beasley is one of my instructors for the business of theater right Ooh. now in grad school, Heather, you're amazing. Uh, I have a... There's, if you're a student, there's a really great program called the Go Live program on Betsy's website, and you can get $10 tickets to any show that you want. You just sort of give them a school email um, and your name and phone number, I think. And so they are removing all the impediment, or almost all the impediments for you to get your butt down there to yeah. see it. So Just shy of driving you there. Just shy of driving you there. But hey, great public transportation in this area, right? Yes, yes there is. <clears throat> so check it out, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's... Let's pretend I'm James Lipton now with okay. my right. myriad of blue note cards. My favorite uh, curse word is the F word wh- and the C word, but uh, I only use the C word in when I'm talking about men. <laughs> so we're starting at the back of the James Lipton. Yes. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, God. I think I, uh, I, I've done a lot of really weird, odd jobs. I think... A job I would really like would be um, a professional man of leisure. Ooh! Can I just be paid to be a, a snail on my couch all the time? Would you also be a Renaissance man though, or just a man of leisure? Just a man of leisure, like it just I, it just disposable income to like. Today we are going to wake up in Vegas and then we will sleep in New York. And then over the weekend, we will find ourselves in Paris. And we'll just do whatever we want to do. Um, that would be amazing. Um, That's the best answer. Yeah, I think I think that or um, food taster for Domino's. I'll test your food. This is great. I love pizza. This is great intel that we're getting. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the other... Not um, very interesting, but I do love what pizza. So, what <laughs> sound delights you the most? Oh. Um... What sound delights me the most? Yes. I'm paraphrasing from the French interview that <laughs> yeah, James yeah. Lipton paraphrases. I think, I mean, right now, in this particular moment, um, my girlfriend's laughing. Aww. I, 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 that's a, it's, yes, a sappy answer, but it's the first thing that jumped to my mind. Um, the second thing is um, a collective silence. I, like, I remember seeing Interstellar. Ooh. And at the end of Interstellar, the entire house didn't move or make a sound for like five minutes. The, the credits are rolling, the music is playing, it all stopped, the lights come up, nobody moved. And I had not experienced anything like that in a movie theater, especially in the year 2000. <laughs> um, so I love that. I think as a, when I'm an actor, that's the thing I, I love too, is when you are collectively breathing the same breath and that's that's awesome 
But yeah, but that, but that's a that's a distant second to my those girlfriend's are, life. Those are both like profound. I was gonna say applause. Mm. That's mine. I like I like applause. Or or when you're accidentally funny, mm. or you didn't plan to be funny and you're really funny, and people like just that spontaneous yeah. laughter. <laughs> Um, and I think, yeah, the, uh, the only other one I can think of from that is the, the sound that you least like. Oh, sound that I least like. Sound or noise, yeah. Um, let's see, I think, I think the sound that I, I least like is the sound of the canner at Epic Brewing. I used to, I used to work for the packaging gotcha. department, and so when that thing broke down, it wasn't like this loud cacophony of metal and stuff, it was just this deadening silence of gears not working and then like air just still hissing through the machine and you're just you do know now that your eight hour shift is turning into a 10 hour shift i think any the sound of something breaking at work you're just like oh kill me now i hear that and i raise you when you are in the first in line at red light uh, and if you have any hesitation in going, the person oh, behind yeah. you who can't see the traffic oh, yeah. starts honking at you, oh, yeah. like honking. the entitled honk. Yeah, the everyone, entitled honk. Everyone hates the the entitled honk, which is the polar opposite, the yin to the yang of the courtesy wave. Oh yeah, yeah, it is exactly because you because the the entitlement honker is thinking I am doing this jackass a favor. <laughs> and the the guy who's got to deal with the the entitled honker. Is just thinking, there's not a jury in the world that would convict me if I got out of my car and beat you to death with yep. my shoe. And sadly, I totally agree with you. <sighs> that is the thing. Oh, I remembered one more, the Ooh. most arguably the most important question. Yeah. If uh, heaven exists, yeah. when you die, and, and assuming there is a God at the pearly gates, uh, what would you like that entity to say to you? I fucking told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I think... If there's if there's a God, if there is a heaven, um, and I I want to be so wrong, I want to be so wrong. You know, I'm I'm an atheist. I, I I don't believe. I think that religion, much like money and other things, is probably the most dangerous thing we've ever created. Indeed. And I I hold that as a belief. I really want to be wrong because there are a lot of people who disagree with me. Bless there comes you. the sneeze. There it is. Well I have done. sneezed on your answer. No, totally fine. I was uh, done. I hope if if there's, I agree with you. Yeah, I would love something like that, or like your suite is ready, and here mm. are the keys to your theater. Yeah. It would be great if it was like I fucking told you so. Um, and your room is gonna be the corner one down on the left, and uh, feel free to drink all the soda you want. There's no diabetes here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've 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 delved deep into yeah. the. I'm forgetting who the French guy is who came up with the questions. But. Oh yeah, yeah. Annie Huzel, mm. uh, where where did you grow up, and what was your first experience with professional theater? Um, I was born in Denver, uh, moved to Sacramento, California, um, from Michigan. Did a lot of bouncing around as a young kid. Um, then we came back to Denver. By the time I was, I always get the timeline wrong. I'll say noon years old 12 and, uh, <laughs> anyway we i was in college and i was taking a um i was taking a theater course i think it was acting two with scott lipinski at metro metropolitan state university now hmm. um and uh 
I we had this conversation one night because after our final where I did the monologue from Carlito's Way with the the opening and ending monologue kind of tied it all together. Anyway, he asked me what I wanted to do with acting, and I said I just want to get out of college. I just want to get out of college, and um, he he said that's fine. You'll totally get out of college with that. But then what are you going to do when you get out of here? And he challenging me to understand why I was on the journey that I was on really kind of opened me up. Um, it, it was the first thing I was good at that people patted me on the back and said, you are good at this. And I am nothing if not a creature of more person, um, positive feedback and attention. So I, I said, all right, fine, I'm going to keep doing this. And I, I graduated and auditioned and I got really lucky right off the bat. And for the first three years after I graduated in 2007, I didn't go a month without being in a show and getting better at it. I will always remember this play I saw at the Denver Center. The title escapes me, but the moment doesn't. There's this, um, it's about a black jockey um, horse rider um, way back in the day before the Civil Rights Movement. Anyway, he's. there were multiple fake um, horse races in this in this scene, but the, the penultimate horse race, the one that he needed to win, um, after getting just attacked mercilessly, you just see this focus on this man's eyes riding an imaginary horse. There is no prop. It's just his hand out in front of him and he's whipping it from behind. And I could see I, 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 wherever I was sitting, his eyes never left mine. It felt like it, like he was just, he found me and he held me and he ran that race and he won that race and it was at Churchill Downs and he won. And, um, and that I was like, it goes back to the collective silence. It's that, it's that moment of understanding that there's something that connects us. I, I don't know exactly what that is, but I think theater, art specifically, or art, theater specifically, is part of that bonding. Um, I was at a concert last night, Ichio, and uh, it's definitely not something I'd ever participated in. And I saw all these people just, just bonding to this, this loud percussions and this dark imagery, but celebrating life in it. And I thought it was really cool. So yes, long story short, um, it's, it was that show and college and Scott Lubinsky that, that got me into theater. And, you know, I, I got to a place where I was acting in, um, a show that got crammed down a, a, a dark, dark hole by a, by a critic. Um, and I was really bitter about it and I didn't understand why, like, I think I came off the, the, the next night after the, the, the critique was released and I, and I screamed something out loud to the whole cast about like, yeah, take that so-and-so. And, and it was, and I, and I got, I got, uh, chomped at by an, an elder actor. He was like, Hey, don't do that. Knock that shit off. And I just kind of was like, Oh it doesn't affect people the same way. I'm I'm butthurt because they're attacking my my art, my craft, and it put a lot of things in perspective that I wasn't working at it. I was just getting memorized. And um, shortly after that, I met with an acting coach named Sheila Ivy Traster through Kajardo Lindsay. Um, people, if you want acting lessons, go seek out Sheila Ivy Traster. She's amazing. And um, anyway. Um, she reignited the connection between me and the characters that I'm playing, the truth of the moment, and 
I love acting now more than I ever did. I've always said that you'll become a better actor tomorrow than you were today. And that is doubly so if you work at it and you admit where you're you're not the most consistent. It's not about being good or bad or finding perfection. It's understanding that you are working at it. Just like being a person. You... You, I want to be the most present boyfriend. I want to be the most present um, best I can be teacher. I'm working. I'll be working at an elementary school as a para, not a teacher. But I want to be good at that because that job is important. Because teachers' jobs are important. I want to be good at that. I want to be the best friend I can be. And when I'm playing sports by myself at the 24-hour fitness that, that I don't go to nearly enough. <laughs> I want to be good at that too. Right, right. You know, it's just, I mean, it, it's its working and understanding that I'm not perfect, that I'm not going to be good at it. And I'm sorry, but that's all I've got. You know, this is it. I like got chills so many times when you were like saying, <laughs> saying that stuff. Thank, well, thank you. you. Thank you. <clears throat> but I, I mean, to go off what you're saying, I think people underestimate like just working, working on being a better human mm-hmm. intrinsically makes you a better actor. Oh yeah. And you have to find those moments of, I love that because I go to a Buddhist inspired school of like, nice. what what is pure presence? Like what yeah. is, I think of that I Heart Huckabee's movie where Mark Wahlberg and Jason Schwartzman are hitting themselves in the face with a balloon and saying, now, now, mm. now, right? I think we get really wrapped up in politics or striving for the next best thing or, mm-hmm. you know, just all the petty little shit. And it's like, it's such a, it's such a gift to be alive, right? And yeah. to be making art and, um, yeah, and then also being like, I'm not, it's impossible to be great at everything as an mm-hmm. actor. Like, I have my strengths, and then uh, I have the stuff that I, I need to work on. And if there ever gets a point where you don't need to work on anything, then what's the point of acting, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I just got done taking a Shakespeare monologue and soliloquy course, taught by Jeffrey Ken, who directed Waiting for Godot, who is over at the Arvada Center now. Go catch him. Um, he just directed The Foreigner. Um, it, and that I the he asked the whole class on the first day, um, so why are you here? Tell who me tell me who you are and why are you here? And it got to me, and the, and the first thing I could say was, my name is Sam Gilstrap. I've been acting since two thousand seven, and I am not good at Shakespeare. Like I'm just not. I don't understand any of the. I never knew, never knew anything about rhetorical arguments that are happening in all of these monologues. Like these things that are beautiful. I never understood what made them beautiful and to take those things and to see that breakdown and to see the builds that he's talking about. Um, that's really cool. And it's like I said, I consider myself to be one of the best actors in town. I think you need to do that if you want to do it often and regularly. Absolutely. And I don't want it to sound like I'm like, step up guys I'm waiting on you like I'll be here at the top of the mountain that's not what I'm feeling at all it's just like I I want to keep working I want to keep getting better I want you know I want to I want to be doing this for the rest of my life and I, I don't I want to be doing it all over as best as I can and I know that there are things that I'm lacking and some things that I'm so overconfident in that I can't even see it yet like I don't know what I'm not good good at yet um i if, if acting is like re-examining the human condition, we, 
I mean, it's it's a lifelong thing. You don't become a master at it overnight, and that is something that Sam Gilstrap personally struggles with, is this idea of being good right off the bat. Mm. I want to be so good at everything right off the bat. I need to be the best you've ever had, period, end of story, no matter what we're talking about. And um, that that shit gets in the way of every moment. I, I, I'll be the, there's been a rehearsal in every process where at the end of it, I've been so mad at myself for just being so locked up in my head. I want to slam my fist up against the wall. Sometimes I've done that. Um, and it's just because I want to be good now. Can I be great now? And you can't, it's, it, it takes time. Sometimes you, I mean, God, there are, there are actors who, who I see now who are, are so amazing to watch. And it's, and it's just because they just, they've gone through so many mistakes. And in, when it comes down to it, they just sit there in that moment and it, and it just kind of happens. It washes over them. And that's mesmerizing. I don't know if I'm there yet. Probably not, because I know that I haven't had all their failures yet. That's still to come. I got I got some more failure in front of me before I make it to where I want to make it. So in the interim, I'm hoping to work at it, be prepared as possible, and uh, not beat myself up so much. Well said. Thank you. Uh can you take me through some of, for lack of a better word, some of your greatest hits, you know, mm. 2007 to the present? What yeah. productions or moments have really struck out, struck, uh, really stand out as being sort of uh, instrumental in your development as an actor? Mm. I would say, really, the, the vast majority of the things, there were so many bad shows before I started working with Sheila, like that, that I had been a part of and probably the cause of at one point or another, um, that those helped definitely fortify my resolve. Um, but the shows where I was given opportunities to grow and be really challenged are the things that have stayed with me. So um, I mentioned Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, directed by Richard Cowden. I played Musa, the um, Iraqi translator for the United States Army. And he goes through a myriad of mental challenges and hallucinations over the course of that play. And his his... There's a moment where he's got a gun in his hand and he points it to his head. That was a direct, it was a choice, not a director choice. It was something that I did with it. And the first time I did it in rehearsal, I got in my car afterwards and I just started crying on the drive home. And it's because when I was a younger man, there was a time where I knew that if I had a gun, I would not be sitting here. So to come overcome that was really awesome. And it was a beautiful experience. I mean, working on that show got me to play that same show in Vermont. Like, I honestly never thought theater was going to be some meal ticket or take me any place. I believed I'd be just in community theater for a very, very long time. And maybe when I'm 50 or 80, get a chance to be an extra on a Denver Center show. And now I feel, because I've worked on these shows like Bengal Tiger, Cuckoo's Nest, both at the Edge Theater, um, being in the Pittman Painters, um, where I, I, I play a, a miner who takes up painting. Um, 
I still remember the beginning of the monologue um, that my character Jimmy says, and, and it just because I would be staring at this point on the wall, and it would de- delve from this beautiful story of being a kid to this terrible story of a kid having to grow up in a matter of, inf- of a moment. Um, it was like, uh, it was like my mom took me down the pit when I was twelve. This Jordy accent. My mom put me in the pit when I was twelve. I had to go to work at 12 years old for men. I watched the, the rest of the monologue. Is each, I have to watch the elevator door. And if I don't do my job at the right moment, at the right time, men will die. I will die with them. And so just that, that particular moment, um, waiting for Godot, I was working with men that I have idolized for the last 10 years because I've seen them work. I've seen Jeffrey Kent, I've seen Sam Gregory, I've seen Timothy McCracken, I've auditioned alongside Josh Robinson and Sean Scrutchins and be blown away in their callbacks. I'm like, do I get to do this with them? I get to do this with them. Um, Opening night was one of those things. I was just like, ah, I couldn't believe it. And even being an understudy in Bus Stop, um, watching all of those really talented artists just go to work every day and go through the same problems that I go through, asking the same questions. And then you realize that no matter how far along you get, you are still the actor that's trying to figure out the best way to make to present this character. Um, I'm, I feel like I'm rambling. I apologize. The, you are absolutely not rambling. The, the, what I'm trying to get to is Bengal Tiger, um, one flew of the cuckoo's nest as chief, um, Pim and Painters, um, Coronado. Um, trying to think, these are the titles of plays that I've worked on that have helped me. Waiting for Godot. Um, you on the Moors now was a, a just a fun experience. Never worked with thirteen other supremely talented artists and have not a not a day go by where I wanted one of them to just walk off set. <laughs> Like, I loved working with every single person on that project. Then um, I would love to work with them again. I get to work with Jihad again, so I'm lucky there. Um, yeah, I mean the list the list could go on, I'm sure. But they've those have been my those have been the ones that just jump leap to my mind. Um, oh, fuck, Cripple of Inishman. Yeah, <laughs> I love I love working on Cripple of Inishman. That was the first play I read in college. Um, and I was like, oh man, that, that would be a fun character to play. Maybe I'll steal a monologue for class. Right. And I never stole a monologue for class to be, to, to perform from that show. But then I got to be Baby Bobby and I loved being Baby Bobby. So that was, that was, that was a joy. I'll try and remember for as long as I can. <laughs> I think this is a good segue. I love to ask performers mm. just in case there's someone listening, uh, who's looking to work with you or mm. hasn't thought of you in this way, what, what, you know, three to five roles are at the top of your bucket list. What do you have to play before you leave this world? Um, well, doing the Shakespeare monologue class, I got to do the winter. Now is the winter of our discontent monologue from Richard the third. And I, by the end of that, by the end of that day in class, I was like, Richard the third, before you die, that's what you're going to do. Now they're going to do it at CSF this summer. I don't know if I'm the right age yet. But um, Richard the Third, um, and that would that would be awesome. I would love to be Iago as yeah. well, sticking with Shakespeare. I just I've I've done one of his monologues for a very long time, and and just in classes and audition preps, and that would be a great one. 
if I could sing, I'd love to be the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's see. Those are those are some of them that just hmm. a lot. Of, oh, I want to be Brick. I want to be Brick from um, Cat and Haunted Roof. Yes, Cat and Haunted Roof. Yeah. I, I would love to be Brick. Um, Stanley Kowalski, of course. I mean, I'm, I I think those are pretty quintessential ones that just leap to mind. But honestly, if I believe I can play any part that's not specifically written for a woman or a, a different race than myself. Um, so if I, while you at the auditions, just give me a chance. You will not be disappointed. I, I'll give you my all. So, well said. Yeah. Uh, as we sort of wind down our time together, I love to ask my guests what advice they have um, for others who want to do what they do. So what advice do you have for actors? Just do it. Um, the parachute will open. Um, I'm, I'm stealing a lot of cliches, but or they're now cliches. I, but honestly, it's it's not easy, but that's what makes it so much fun. And you just you just have to try. Look at the websites that are posting auditions. Take classes. Tell yourself you don't know everything. Be humble be kind and lose any sense of entitlement, which is hard, especially if you, you know, you, you stay busy for so long and then you go to something that like, I, I, I know this from personal experience. I can say, don't be entitled, but I've acted entitled and have been a pain in the ass from multiple directors because of that at times. Um, hopefully never again, but <laughs> just, just work at it. Love the grind, love the process, and don't be afraid to fail because that's a big part of it. Sometimes your best performances you will think are failures. It just matters, it just doesn't matter who you touch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, folks, in the episode description, there's going to be a link to Sam's podcast, The Ghost Lights. The Ghost Lights Podcast. The Ghost Lights Podcast. And there's also going to be ticketing links for Boulder Ensemble Theater Company's Guards at the Taj. Mm-hmm. Plug into both of those cool things that Sam's doing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for trekking all over Colorado today for me. I- I have gone miles to see you, and it was well worth the journey. Thank you. All right, folks, we'll see you next time. Definitely. Thank you.